Bible of your own. Our ushers have Bibles available. Just raise your hand. They'll bring a Bible to you that you can use for the rest of our service this morning. <clears throat> Let's all stand together in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Reading Exodus chapter 11. Let's give our attention then to the reading of God's word. The Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. So Moses says, said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and, Pharaoh, Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord heartened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. May God give us understanding as we have read through this and be preaching through this text uh, this morning. If you would, remain standing with me, a word of prayer, and then after prayer, our choir will come with special music and then the preaching of God's word this morning. Let's bow in prayer. We thank you, Father, for who you are. You are unique and set aside. You are God alone. We want to acknowledge and recognize you. We thank you for your word that declares who you are in your might and your power and your majesty and also in your grace and your mercy and your love. We would pray, Lord, that we would learn and appreciate more how we have escaped the wrath and judgment of you because of your love and grace shown through the Lord Jesus Christ, your son. And I pray that we will embrace Christ, believe in him, trust in him, and walk in obedience to him, worship him, praise him, and bring glory to him and you as we live our lives. Bless this church, this assembly of believers, you hold us together and you alone. 
And we pray, Lord, that you would equip us as you have and will continue to do to, uh, to do your will here in this community, to be a testimony to you, a testimony of you to others, and that we will continue to live and to preach the gospel and that you will use your word, your gospel, to transform hearts and change lives and draw people to yourself. There's a desperate need in our community, in this city of Milwaukee and surrounding areas, for believers to stand, to live, to worship you and to be that testimony. We pray, Lord, that Sunday, this day, will be a day of worship. And even throughout this community, one day many will come and worship you on this day, will turn from their sins and come in repentance and forgiveness and serve and worship and honor you. That Sunday may be a true day of service and worship. Not just Sunday, Lord, but all the days of the week that you will transform hearts and transform lives. We thank you for the men's retreat. We thank you for the ministry that was happening there. We pray, Lord, that you will continue to draw us close together as men, as leaders in our home, in our families, in our communities, wherever you've sent us to be. We pray for the, the boys and the young men who are part of this as well. We pray for that union between father and sons, father and daughters, mothers and fathers as parents and their children. You will strengthen those relationships as you transform our lives. We pray this all now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Right, it's good to be here today. Um, last week, my wife and I had a chance, an opportunity to take some time off and to uh, have a short vacation, a weekend. We, we went, actually went to the Dales area and spent some time together there and really enjoyed it. Uh, one of the things that might sound strange, we like to do on vacation, is uh, Sunday morning, we got up and went to church. Went to a church we did not know anything about. Um, you could look them up on the, uh, on the website and see that they're consistent with our, our beliefs. And uh, so we happened to go, a church, go to a church in Baraboo, Wisconsin, just uh, not too far from the Dales, in the Dales area, not too far from Wisconsin Dales. And uh, it, was a, it was a good experience. It was good to see uh, what you have in common with people that you don't even know when they talk about Christ and they sing about Christ and, and you realize that you share in that faith. So uh, I'm always encouraged when we have people in our congregation, sometimes our family members who come and in their busy time of vacation time, they actually come to church. And I'm always pleased and impressed with that, that they spend time to worship God. It's not a task for them. It's not a burden for them. It's something they enjoy doing. So 
Praise God. So if you woke up this morning and you thought, oh, I got to go to church. I hope you feel bad about that. You ought to. You ought to. <laughs> Amen. So we're continuing in our series. I want to thank Brian for speaking for me. He had quite a busy week. I chose to take uh, uh, the weekend off uh, that Saturday. He spoke at Milwaukee Rescue Mission, our regular third Saturday chapel service. He was scheduled to speak for that, but he also uh, came back and spoke during the, the morning service here. Um, and then the preparation for the men's retreat and uh, his regular uh, 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 Bible study on Thursday as well. You know, he just won't say no to anything, and he doesn't just do it, he does it well. I was so pleased uh, hearing God's word. We have prepared things for our men's retreat, and uh, if you ever prepare, you know what a task that is. You go to, to enjoy. Most of our men, you go to eat, enjoy, and have fellowship. Um, but it was, it was hard work for us, but it's the kind of work we enjoy, and we, we signed up for, amen? And I just wanted to, uh, to, to, to thank God for him for doing it so well. A busy week, but... Um, Everything was, was done well, and I, I thank you, brother, for that, um, for, uh, for just taking that ministry so seriously and letting God use you. Okay, so we continue now in our series in Exodus, and we're on Exodus chapter 11. It's a short chapter. Um, those who know me, <laughs> that doesn't mean we got a short message. <laughs> I'm trying to get better at that, though. I don't know. You, if you haven't noticed, I've been working on that. Okay, so let's get into it. All right. To, in chapter 11, we have the final plague threatened. <laughs> and I put in my notes, threatened slash promised. <laughs> because that's how God does. He doesn't just make empty threats. He promises. Both his, you know, we sang, sang the song today, Standing on the Promises, and we usually think of a promise as something that is, is welcoming and something positive. Um, but God promises both his grace and his wrath. And in fact, our job is to, our task is to let people know, to warn them that God ain't playing. God promised judgment and it's going to come. Reminds me of that old song we sang about Noah's Day. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. You better get ready. Bear this in mind. Y'all know that song. And so uh, he, the, there's a warning going out to people that God's judgment is coming. Therefore, you better jump on his, ra uh, jump on his grace. You better, you better embrace grace. You can write that down. It sounds good, doesn't it? Embrace grace. You better do that because his judgment is sure to come. And so we see that here. Um, think about this, this whole scenario and then this exchange in Exodus with Moses and Aaron being the mouthpiece of God and speaking to Pharaoh. And ten plagues are all judgments and warnings. See, the things that we face today, God is, 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 is getting our attention or letting us know it's a judgment and a warning. 
Judgment in this sense that, yes, it's, it's because of sin that God does these things. But a warning in this sense that it's not the final judgment. It's, it's just a sign of what is to come. In other words, there's more where that came from, and it's going to come. So it's warning us to take God's wrath seriously and know that he will do what he promised to do in terms of judging this world. I've said this many times. When you read the Bible, what you see is that this world and this world system has no hope but God. God is not going to fix this world. He's not going to tweak things and make them gradually better. He's going to judge this, move it on, and bring on his kingdom. And so the judgments foreshadow or give a foretaste of what is coming. Greater judgment is coming. So each one of those plagues, Pharaoh took lightly. Well, when they hit he said, yeah, yeah, I see you're serious. And sometimes he even said, you know, I, I, I confess, I have sinned. And have God turn it off, turn off that judgment, and I'll let God's people go. And as soon as God turned it off, he went back to his own ways. The Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. The Bible also says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You know what, God, God has no problem in saying that. We, we shudder like, whoa, really? We try to shade God from the responsibility of hardening Pharaoh's heart. We even try to explain it away sometimes. But the fact is, when you say no to God, God at some point says, that's settled. There's no more reason to talk. I've asked this question. Is the love of God limited? Is the grace of God unlimited? And I want you to think about this during the week because there's a way, there's such a, a sense of, of God's love being unlimited to those that he loves so that the measure that's being poured out on them is just amazing. But there's also a sense that God's love and his grace is very much limited. In other words, there comes a time when God's grace will close its door. Give you a picture of that. The judgment that God brought upon Noah in Noah's day. Noah preached and, 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 and proclaimed the message of God that judgment is coming. It's going to rain. He did that. There came a time, though, when God said, Noah, get in the ark. Noah... And in fact, he said, I'm going to close the door. And then he said, rain, come down. There comes a time when the opportunity to respond to God ends and is over. And we don't know when that time is coming. We can be sure for each of us, the end of our ability <laughs> or opportunity to respond ends with our death for sure. But we don't even know when that's going to happen. God wants to warn us that his judgment is for real and it comes. So in this chapter, chapter 11, we see several things. We see the final plague threatened. 
it states this way. The Lord said to Moses, yet, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh. Remember the last plague before this one? It was in chapter 10, verse 21. It was darkness over the land of Egypt. It says a darkness to be felt. It says in verse 22, Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. That's a long time. Yesterday at the men's retreat, we had a, a creation walk where there were seven rooms that represented the seven days of creation. And there was a presentation in each one of those rooms. And the first room we got in, all the men know what I'm talking about who went there. We got in that small room and when they closed the door, boom, it was dark. You could not, I could not see my hand in front of my face. It was that dark. It was amazing that the little ones um, didn't, didn't seem to be scared. They, they were all close to, to dads close by. And so it wasn't a frightening thing, but it was an awesome thing. And it remained dark even while the introduction and the uh, information came over the presentation until they read Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be light. And then the light came on. But it just gave us a vivid illustration. We don't always see that in, in our city life, at least, what darkness really looks like with no light. I think Egypt got a chance to experience that a bit. And think about that as a plague. All it was was darkness. But think about darkness with no sound, just darkness. And such a darkness that you can't, even with your eyes open, see anything right in front of you. I'd imagine you can feel stuff. You can feel wind blowing. You can feel movement uh, as it pushes the wind towards you. But you can't see anything. This plague was so severe, it says in verse 24, I'm looking at chapter 10 now, verse 24. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, go, <laughs> go. But he tried to negotiate. Go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you, only let your flocks and herds remain behind. In the middle of God's judgment, he's trying to negotiate. These plagues represent something. You know, uh, in all of history, we have times when uh, a kingdom could be a nation, but I call it a kingdom because uh, 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 an individual who is leader over that exerts his leadership and power over the predominant world at that time. Pharaoh was one of those. Pharaoh had, had power, uh, and he was probably considered the, the highest ranking or the most powerful man in the world. There's another time in Scripture when that happened, and uh, it would be King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon who ruled over his kingdom. Probably another time when that would happen would be the New Testament times with the Roman government and Caesar. And think about that. 
Moses interacted with Pharaoh to humble him. Daniel interacted with Nebuchadnezzar to tell him, I'm doing these things so that you might know that the most high God rules on earth and, 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 and does whatever he pleases. It was Jesus who was in the time of Caesar. During his trial, he didn't meet with Caesar, but Caesar's representatives, Pilate and even King Herod. God is making a message. Man thinks he's, he rules and he is in control. It is God's earth. It is God's heaven. And it's God who reigns. It is God who rules. So we see this plague threatened. Moses speaks, excuse me, God, God speaks to Moses and tells him what he's about to do. He says, after I do this thing, he's going to let you go. Not only let you go, he's going to command that you leave. He's going to drive you, he says, completely out. And he says this. He says, Moses, I want you to tell the people, that they should ask. Each man should ask his neighbor. Each woman should ask her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Interesting in this passage that, that God will put this command to, uh, to tell Moses to tell his people, before they leave Egypt, ask your neighbors for all this stuff. It's interesting, first of all, that they even could ask them for something. And expect to get something. It's also interesting, if you were going to get something, I would think, you know, hey, man, I'll be asking, give me your knife, your sword. Uh, give me some weapons that, that I can go because we finna go out. <laughs> we're going out there. And we don't know who we're going to uh, encounter. And, and we don't have an army. We're just a group of, uh, of people who've been oppressed for 400 years as slaves. And now we're leaving this place to go to a, a land that God promised us. But God told them. I want you to ask them for jewelry. <laughs> what do you think the purpose of that is? It's hinted here, and we'll see it later on in Exodus, and, and let's just spill it out, what it is. God is saying, I am going to be your weapon and your army. You don't need weapons. What you need is what you are going to use to worship me. This jewelry, this silver and this gold is going to be used in worship to God. So as God delivers his people, he wants them to prepare to worship him. Has God delivered you? Has God saved you from something? He wants you to prepare to worship him. He's, he's, he's taking care of all the things. In other words, he's fighting a battle. You don't need a knife. You don't need a sword. He's going to fight that battle. Well, what you need is to prepare regularly to worship him. And it says how they were going to get these things. You would think that the, uh, the, the uh, Israelite asking his master for something, how, why would he expect anything to happen there? But it says in verse 3, the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. 
So God is preparing them for worship, but he's also doing something else here. In war times, one nation that fought against another would gain all of the possessions of the people they defeated. We call them spoils. They take all the stuff. And especially the stuff that you can convert value, like precious metals, silver, and gold. God is spoiling. In other words, he's, he's, he's breaking down Egypt and taking the spoils of Egypt. And there isn't even a physical confrontation. Not even a physical confrontation. God is going to have his people walk out with all the spoils, and he has changed the heart of the Egyptians to make them willing to do that. Isn't God good? He sets it up so that we have the victory and have the spoils as well. We'll see that actually happen uh, later on in, in, in our series here in Exodus. Also notice, it says, in verse 3, moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servant, and in the sight of the people. God was doing something. Remember before when, when Moses made the excuse to God that, hey, I, I'm not a good speaker. He was saying, I don't have charisma. I don't have that power to speak in such a way that I influence people to regard me in such a way. He said, I don't have that, that thing. That charisma to lead people. Well, God had given him that. <laughs> it says, God, he says that, that Moses was, was uh, uh, very great in the land of Egypt. Not in Israel, in Egypt. Now, he was great in Israel too, but he was great. His, his, no, his name had become known in Egypt. And even Pharaoh's servants respected him. Why is that? What did he do to get that? He simply obeyed God. He simply did what God told him to do, and God gave him everything he needed to bring about God's will. Now we see in verse 4, Moses approaches Pharaoh, I believe, for the last time. You remember at the end of chapter 10, Pharaoh said, get out my face. I don't want to see you again. And in fact, he said, the day I see you, you'll die. And Moses said, all right. I'm okay. Got the message. I'm out of here. He does, in fact, apparently see him again because he's speaking to Pharaoh. In verse 4, Moses says, thus says the Lord. Now, I want you to underline that, at least in your mind, thus says the Lord. Because Moses is not speaking in his own authority. Moses, later on in chapter, 10, in chapter 11 here, it says he, after he tells Pharaoh what God says, he leaves very angry. Can we jump to that? Verse 9. Verse 8 it is, it says, And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. We'll, t we'll talk about that a little bit in, in, in just a moment. So he addresses Pharaoh in verse 4, and he tells Pharaoh, this is what God is going to do. About midnight, 
Thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. That, that's something. That's something. He says every family, every household is going to experience death. It's like in every household, in the bedroom and in the barn, there's going to be death. Some of you have pets, and those of us who don't have pets or don't have pets now don't quite understand the bond that comes with with people and animals, but you actually grieve when your pet is sick. You spend money, you care for them, and you are, are trying to, to uh, um, give them good health. And there's an emotional bond there in some way. Now, these aren't their pets necessarily, but it's even more what they need to get along, what they need to make a living, what they need to eat and, and to be sustained, God says, I'm going to affect everything. I'm going to affect that loved one in your home, and I'm going to affect the cattle in your barn. Everyone that is firstborn, I'm going to take. And he says this, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. So he says, I'm going to bring death on every family of Egypt. But he also says, I'm going to protect Israel. Look at verse 7. Not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast. He says, in essence, they walk boldly in God's protection. They won't be threatened by anything or anyone. This reminds me of the scripture in the New Testament, the 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, and I just want to read it for you. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. He says he's going to do this. He's going to make a distinction between Israel and Egypt. God knows how to reserve the ungodly for judgment and to preserve his own for his grace. God knows how to make a separation between the two, and he's going to do that. Now, the fact is, a lot of things that happen to us in, in today's world happen to, to everybody, innocent or guilty. We have floods, we have catastrophes that, that impact people in general. And they are just a foretaste sometimes of, of God's wrath and God's judgment. Sometimes uh, we don't even know why they come. Uh, they seem to just happen. The insurance company calls them acts of God. Um, there's seemingly no explanation. It's just nature taking its course, so to speak. But God's judgment comes and he says this. They're going to make a distinction. I'm going to let people know exactly who I'm targeting so you won't be in doubt. Again, it's a preview of what's going to happen in God's true judgment. He knows. 
and he targets, he protects his own people and he targets those who are not his. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 11 and talk about the rest of this. Verse 8, he says, And all these your servants shall come down to me. So he's talking to Pharaoh there. All these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. God is humbling Egypt all of Egypt, and Pharaoh himself. In fact, it's, it's, it's pretty traumatic that he says, you're going to beg Moses to leave. Your people are going to get down on their knees and beg Israel to leave. God's power is going to be displayed in such a way that you won't just release them. You're going to beg them to go away from your midst. And so we see that. Then we see this picture of, I think it's a picture of Moses in his anger. It says he leaves there in hot anger. And I want to compare that to the previous chapter, chapter 10 in uh, uh, um, verse 27 and 28. It says, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day that you see my face, you shall die. Moses says, as you say, I will not see your face again. Two men <laughs> in anger or displaying their anger. Pharaoh displays an anger and Moses displays an anger. I say that because we too often think that anger or any expression of anger is wrong. And it's not clearly. God is angry with the wicked every day. God is going to judge the wicked, and he's just in judging the wicked. And sometimes I say that we don't understand. When I say the wicked, that includes every single person on earth is wicked in God's sight. And the only redemption and only saving we have is that God has poured his grace out on those who believe in Jesus Christ. He's the only hope. So God gets angry and shows his wrath. Moses gets angry and shows his wrath. What would be some of the positive reasons for anger? We struggle with anger because we often know that anger leads us to sin, but we know in Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible tells us to be angry and not sin. In other words, there's a, there a way that we can have an anger that is in agreement with God and have an action that comes that, from that anger that is not sinful. In fact, he commands us to do that. But if you're like me, that's one of the most difficult things in my life, is to have the right kind of anger without sinning. I want to explore this just a little bit. Moses is in his anger. The positive reasons for anger or, or things that will be right to be angry about and the right expression of that is 
because of Pharaoh's disobedience and his arrogance. That would bring about an anger to Moses because of Pharaoh's action. And, and ultimately, it's an action against God. That's why I said I wanted you to underline, thus says the Lord, in chapter uh, 10, chapter 11, verse 4. Moses says, thus saith the Lord. Each time there was a plague, Moses was simply speaking for God. He was not speaking from himself or by the authority that any authority that he had. He was speaking, thus saith the Lord. And so when someone goes against what God has said, it is right to be angry about that type of response because God is angry with that. We need to, need to be careful that we're not, it's not a personal thing. See, it's not just because you've gone against me of what I said that may in fact be sinful if, if you're under my authority. But ultimately it's because you go against God that brings about his anger. And I'm, a right to, I'm right to agree with God. that You have violated and have been arrogant against God. God. I would imagine Moses is saying, look, man, 10 times I am showing you that God is real and he's going to do what he said and has ordered you to let his people go. And every time you've reneged, you have an arrogant spirit against God. And I see that. Also, you could be good to be angry with Pharaoh's disregard for his own people. It's one thing for him to be hard-headed and foolish, but with his hard-headedness and foolishness is going to bring a destruction of his own people. Remember what we saw in chapter 10, Verse 7, Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? That's the problem we have with poor leadership that disregards God. They bring judgment on the entire land. And so many are impacted and affected by that. Moses would, would be well, would do right to be angry about that, angry about the consequences that Pharaoh's hardness and, and arrogance has brought on the whole land. One of the things that he would not be right in being angry with is his own personal impatience as if he was God. See, Moses is, is, has the responsibility to speak, thus saith the Lord. And when you speak, thus saith the Lord, now you recognize when people disobey that, they're going not against you. Ultimately, they're going against God. And God is going to do exactly what he says. So I think we need to be clear to speak in God's authority, not our own. Thus saith the Lord, Pharaoh, this is why you must obey, not because I'm going to get mad and do something to you, but because God has commanded and he's going to get mad and do something to you. It's not me that you got to fear. 
is God. So it says, Pharaoh, excuse me, Moses spoke this, and he went out from Pharaoh angry, angry. I have to be afraid to be angry. You know what God has said, and you, you're responding to what God says and what, what God's thought is. I know that's tempered by our own sinfulness and our own past arrogance against God and how we have responded or failed to respond or limited our response to God. But God is angry with the response to him. In fact, God says, I've hardened Pharaoh's heart so that I might continue my judgment. In other words, God, God is saying, I want to finish this thing. I'm going to knock this out. And Pharaoh is not going to relent so that I can bring my total judgment in this case. Do you speak in your authority when you speak to others or do you speak in God's authority? Are you saying, are you able to say, thus says the Lord? Do you know that God's judgment is real? Not because I don't like you or because I'm mad at you, but because you have violated a holy, righteous, all-powerful God who's given clear command. We plead, we beg with people on behalf of God to turn from sin and to turn to God. God is saying in this chapter, my final judgment is coming. It's coming. And it's going to bring about the response that I intend for it to bring about. Nations are going to be humbled. Kingdoms are going to be destroyed. My people are going to be freed. My people are going to be prepared for worship. And they're going to come out from that sin, and they're going to serve me. This is a picture of what God does for us spiritually. Because what is done spiritually is done physically or actually. And, and sometimes we, we misunderstand that. God redeemed us and saved us from sin and saved us from judgment and cleared us from that by us trusting in Christ. He is going to come and bring judgment on this world and take his people out and preserve them for his kingdom. Believe that. Live that. Trust that. Speak that. And warn others of that. And live in such a way that they believe you because you live in accord with that. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the warning that you give before your judgment come so that your people might believe and act in faith so that those who haven't trusted you 
might know that you are real and you will in fact do what you said you would do. It's coming to time you said that every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess. They're going to acknowledge that you are in charge, that you are supreme. We would pray that we would do that today, right now, before it's too late. You know, we know that you are warning today. We pray that we might be a part of that warning. Help us, Lord, in our anger not to be impatient, but to speak your truth with your warning and that it is real. Help us to remember that it's you who are giving this warning. It's not our word. It's your word, your authority, and your power. But you've given us the responsibility of speaking it. As we speak it, help us not to point the offense directly towards ourselves. But realize those who ignore you or ignore what we say as from you bring judgment on themselves. And their offense is ultimately a grave offense against you. Help us to live as if your judgment is real so that other people might know that it's real as well. We know it's real when we trust in the only salvation that you have provided, and that's your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We hold him to be our only means for deliverance from your judgment. We recognize that it's only through trust in him, through his blood, that we are rescued from your judgment. So those who believe your judgment and your warning, trust in Christ. We thank you for that. you're speaking to the heart of one right now, we pray, Lord, that that one might, in fact, turn to Christ, trust him as Lord and Savior, recognize that they're a sinner, and recognize Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection is the only means for a sinner to be right with you. We pray that you'll speak this to hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.